Good morning. Well, this morning we hope to uh, look at a more positive group of friends than we did last week. Last week we started our two-part series in uh, Friends to Avoid and Friends to Embrace. So we got rid of all the friends to avoid and we're now talking about friends to embrace. And and, uh, so it'll be a little more positive today, which is a nice thing. The late Illinois uh, Senator Paul Simon was speaking to a college uh, audience when he told one of his favorite stories. And the story is about a foot race that took place during a time when he presided over the Special Olympics. Nine developmentally handicapped uh, children lined up to race, this foot race, in front of a, a full auditorium of people. And these kids had prepared all year for this race, and they all wanted to win. None of them could run well, but they all wanted to give it their best shot. So they lined up, the gun went off, and they all started into the race. They began to run. About a third of the way through the race, one of the participants fell down on the track, fell flat on his face. And as the lead runner looked back to see where everybody was, noticed that the foot, that uh, one of the participants had fallen. And so he stopped. And he turned around, and they, of course when the person fell, the whole audience went, <gasps> you know, the gasp, and, and, and uh, so he saw that he had fallen. And he started running back towards the fallen runner, and all of the other racers turned around and ran back to the fallen runner as well. And they picked him up off the ground, and they joined arms, and they all ran the rest of the race, and they crossed the finish line together. They were all winners. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. When God created Adam in Genesis, the Genesis account, we read that God created the heavens, the earth. He created all of the things that we see, all of the animals. And every day he would say, it's good, it's good, it's good. When he came to man, he said, it's very, he's very good. But then God said something about his creation that is kind of startling when you, when you think about it. When he saw man, he said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper suitable or, or comparable to him. The fact is, as human beings, we need friends. We need friends like those Special Olympic runners. It's not good to be alone. But many people in, in choosing friends make the wrong choices. And we talked about that last week, making the wrong choice, choosing bad friends, choosing friends who bring them down. So last week as we talked about friends to avoid, and I just want to make something clear. My purpose in, in mentioning all these bad characters last week was not to discourage you from having any friends at all or from making friends but rather to prepare the way for this week's message uh, during which we will think about friends to embrace. When I say friends to embrace, I don't mean necessarily friends that we physically cling to, but the word embrace really has the idea behind it to hold close, to hold close to our heart, friends that we really uh, count as special. Um, I think Rick may have mentioned this several weeks ago or even a couple of months ago that the tendency in our society today, especially online, is to have as many friends as possible. It kind of rates your status if you have multiple friends or if you have few friends, you're not so important. But I'll be completely honest with you. I don't have many friends. Okay? That's just a absolutely true statement. I don't have many friends. Um, and the reason I say that is that when I consider friends, I'm thinking in terms of friends who are really meaningful to me 
and I to them. Friends that really are true friends in, this, in the truest sense of the word. And so we're going to take a look at that a little bit uh, in detail today. Um, the key verses we chose for the study are found in Proverbs 12:26. It says, The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. And then Proverbs 13:20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. So, choose your friends wisely. I said to Krista yesterday, Krista, I'll just say this about her. She's, she's, she's not internet savvy. And so sometimes we use terms and she'll go, huh? You know, and it's just because she just has, she has no interest in it. <clears throat> I said to her yesterday, I said, you're my BFF. She says, I'm your what? <laughs> I says, you're my BFF. And she thought about it, and she says, best friend? I said, almost. Best friend forever? I said, you got it. I said, wow, I'm proud of you. <laughs> no coaching on that one. That was great. So best friend forever. <clears throat> so I don't have many BFFs. I know a lot of people. I have literally tens of thousands of contacts. Okay? But I don't have many friends. Someone wrote this. <clears throat> True friends are like diamonds, precious and rare. False friends are like leaves, found anywhere. I have a few friends. And these friends are the type of friends who correct me when I'm wrong. They encourage me when I'm down. They comfort me when I hurt, and they rejoice with me when I do well. Blessed is the man who has a wife like this, or blessed is the woman who has a husband like this. And I do have a wife like this. Yes. So we're going to take a look at some must-have friends. First one is a true friend. Some of you have heard the term a fair-weather friend, right? A fair-weather friend. They are your friends as long as there's something in it for them. As long as things are going, a well, going along smoothly, you have something that they want or that they need, man, they're your friends. Stand up to them, correct them, and they will abandon you. But a true friend is different. Proverbs 17:17 17, 17 says this. And if you have a note paper and, and pen, we're going to look at a lot of verses today. So if you just jot them down, you can uh, take a look at them in more detail later. <clears throat> Proverbs 17, 17 says this, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Someone has said a true friend is someone who knows all about you, but loves you anyway. Okay? A true friend is like that. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Which would you rather have? An enemy who kisses you in order to stab you in the back, or a friend who loves you enough to correct you when you're wrong? Think about the answer that you give. Okay? Some people say, oh, yes, of course, I'd like the friend who uh, loves me and uh, will, will wound me, will hurt me. And then when they do, you forsake them. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. A true friend is someone who loves you so much that he is willing to make himself vulnerable in potentially losing you as a friend and risking hurting you for your benefit rather than ignore something that is detrimental to your life. Your friend, you have to think about this, your friend gains no personal advantage when he corrects you uh, and, and tries to move you forward in your life. If he hurts you, uh, the benefit really is all yours. It doesn't seem like it, I know, but if you really think about it, it's true. David said in Psalm 141, verse 5, and he knew about those kind of friends, he said this, Let the righteous strike me, it shall be a kindness. And let him rebuke me, it shall be as excellent oil. 
Let not my head refuse it. You know the verse, Proverbs 27, 17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. If you surround yourself with the wrong kind of friends, your character will suffer. But if you surround yourself with true friends, you will be sharp and effective. You'll become a man or a woman of character, godly character. If you're a true friend, you will look at ways in which you can sharpen your friends as well. So we're not only talking about friends that you should have, but also we're talking about friend, a friend that you should be, the kind of friend you should be. So if you're a true friend, you'll look for opportunities to encourage your friends to grow in their character as well. So how do you do this? How do you um, be a, how, how can you become a friend like this? Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So even in the New Testament, we have the pattern uh, given for us, and that is that we should come together. We should have fellowship one, with one another. And it shouldn't just be made up of small talk. Oh, hi, how you doing? How the kids? Nice weather. What you doing this week? That's all fine as a starter. But, but true friendship gets beyond the surface gloss and really gets to the heart of the matter, really talks to people about, as I look at you, as you look at me, and you say, you know what? How can I help you grow in the Lord? How can I help you um, go forward in the things of the Lord? How can I help you in your character? Okay, That's the idea of Hebrews as well. So a wise man or a wise woman will recognize the value in having a true friend and will want to spend time with true friends. So I'll ask you the question. You might have a million BFFs, but how many true friends do you really have? How many true friends who are willing to um, speak with you this way or are willing to uh, cause you to grow this way? And the other question, of course, is are you a true friend? Are you this kind of a friend to others? It's not about the number of friends we have. It's about the kind of friends we have that's important. Proverbs 18, 24 uh, validates that it says a man of many companions may come to ruin but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother it's interesting in that um, verse the word friend there sometimes the word friend in the scripture just means a companion an associate somebody that you happen to know but the word friend in that particular verse means someone who loves you someone who loves you it it's um there is a friend there is someone who loves you that sticks closer than a brother if you have a friend who truly loves you he will be there for you he will be there with you no matter what the cost to himself did jesus have anything to say about friends oh yeah yeah he did this is what he said in um, john chapter 15 verse 12 he said this is my commandment that you love one another how are we to love one another? As I have loved you. How did Jesus love you? Think about it. Jesus gave up all the privileges that he had in heaven. He gave up all the rights he had, if you will, in heaven. He, became, he humbled himself and he became a man and suffered on the cross of Calvary shedding his own blood for you that's the kind of friend he was to you and it says love one another as i or in the same way that i have loved you now i don't know about you but i'm not anywhere near that in my friendship with with people how many people am i so in love with that I would lay down my life for. And yet that's what we're called to do in this passage. He went on to say, 
greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And then two verses later, he says to his disciples, to whom he was uh, speaking, I have called you friends. Uh, It's very touching. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. I have called you friends. We talked about this in the uh, morning class. Love, if it's true love, it needs... uh, to express itself it needs to demonstrate itself and jesus demonstrated his love for us by dying on the cross for our sins if we love one another then it needs to be demonstrated it needs to find expression in um, the way we treat one another the way we act towards one another the way we express ourselves to each other and so as we think about friends friends to embrace This is one kind of friend to embrace, a true friend, one who loves you no matter what the cost. And it's the kind of friend to be. And so I have a lot of growing to do. I don't know about you. Number two, a wise friend. I think it was, um, I don't see him right offhand here, but I think it was my son Daniel who said to me, Dad, he says, so you're speaking about um, friends to avoid this. He said this last week to me. He said, so you're speaking about friends to avoid, right? That's what you spoke about today, he said? I said, yeah. And he said, so next week you're going to talk about friends to embrace, right? I said, yeah. He said, so like they're the opposite, right? I said, yeah. He said, so why don't you just get up and say, remember everything I said last week? So just do the opposite this week and then sit down. What Daniel didn't realize is that as a preacher, I've never learned to be concise about anything I say. <laughs> Although it was probably wise counsel, or at least wise guy counsel. A wise friend. Proverbs 13:20 says, "He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed." So I want to take a test here okay are you wise are you wise here's the first question to determine how wise you are how do you respond to correction when somebody corrects you how do you respond to that in proverbs 9 8 9 it says do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you rebuke a wise man and he will love you Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. And so as Solomon looked over all of the friends that he had, and as he's instructing his son into the friends to choose, he said, do this little test. Rebuke somebody some days, not just, not just randomly, but if you, uh, if you do rebuke somebody, and they're a scoffer, they scoff at it, you know that what you're saying is true, and they scoff at it, probably better to avoid that friend he's a scoffer but if he takes it to heart and he listens he's a wise man and you've just made him wiser now the same is true when we're rebuked and there are times in life when we need to be rebuked and someone comes along and says you know brother you know sister there's something i need to talk to you about i'm concerned about this in your life and here's what it is if your reaction is to you know fight back you're not very wise if somebody is going to take the pain to tell you something like that believe me it's it, it's not easy to do that it's not something that mo- most people there are some people who just love to do that to people but most people don't most people find it you know like one one step short of death or something like that to sell to tell somebody that you know what you this is an area that i'm really concerned about in your life and if you've got a friend who's that loving to you to tell you Be wise enough to accept it and to take it to heart. How do you respond to correction? Are you wise? Well, second question is, uh, uh, wisdom shows itself in um, your answer to this question. Are you teachable? Are you teachable? In Proverbs 10, verse 8, it says, The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. In other words, you can teach a wise person 
You can teach a wise man, but a fool won't stop talking. Okay, a fool won't. You'll tell them something, and they'll go, you know, they'll usually change the subject and, and blather on about something entirely different. A person who is wise is teachable. A third question to answer as far as whether you're wise or not, are you acting on what you already know? Most of us have had more teaching than most churches anywhere in the world have had. With the kind of teaching that we've had here, most have had more. We know a lot. We know a lot. Proverbs 27, 17 says this, Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. In other words, it's, it's not sufficient to just listen and hear it and say, oh yeah, I know that. You really don't know that just by listening. You might know the facts, but when you really know something is when you apply it, when you do it. And happy are you um, when you apply your heart to knowledge. And the fourth question to, to ask about your wisdom is this. Do you seek godly counsel? Proverbs 15.22 says, Without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Proverbs 20.18 says, Plans are established by counsel. And Proverbs 24.6 says, In a multitude of counselors, there is safety. I think of the need for counsel. You're making decisions in life, and uh, some people go through life and they just wing it. They say, well, whatever way the mop flops, that's what I'm going to do. You know, and they just wing it in life. It's not wise. It's not wise. Seeking counsel gives you the opportunity to bounce your ideas, your thoughts, your goals, your aspirations off of somebody else who's, who's really a third party. They're a disinterested third party in a sense. They're, they're uh, able to look at the situation with different eyes. And if you're seeking godly counsel, they'll even go to the scripture and say, you know what, this isn't a wise choice according to the scripture and here's why and if you are willing to take godly counsel uh, it's a demonstration of being wise so the question is are you wise and then the the next question is do you do you surround yourselves with wise people not wise guys like daniel (laughs) i love you daniel Uh, but rather people who are wise who will give you good good counsel the bible says the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and if you are wise you will surround yourself with people who fear the lord third a righteous friend a righteous friend many of the proverbs as you probably have seen or probably know many of the proverbs are written in a style where there is a contrast in the same verse so a wise person is listed versus a foolish person. A righteous person versus an unrighteous or evil person. Okay, So you see that kind of a contrast in many, many of the verses of Proverbs. One pair that repeats itself is the righteous versus the wicked. Proverbs 10 verses 6 and 7 says this, Blessings are on the head of the righteous but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. If I give you two names here, and I say William MacDonald, you say, see, I saw smiles immediately. Okay? The memory of the righteous is blessed. Okay? It makes us happy to think of a person like that. If I say Adolf Hitler, I didn't see, yeah, see, that's exactly what I was expecting. Ooh. You know, the memory of the wicked will rot. Okay, how many kids name? How many parents name their kids Adolf anymore? Okay, there are some I know. Um, righteous friend. So here's another test: Are you a righteous friend, or do you have righteous friends that surround you? First question: Do you do? Well, this is actually a multi-part question. Do you do what is right? That's, righteousness means that you do what is right. Okay, The word right is in righteous. So right, you do the right thing. So do you do what is right at work? 
So words like fair, honest, proper, appropriate, those are kind of words that come to mind with regard to your work. Do you stand out as a follower of Christ there in your workplace? Proverbs 10.16 says, The labor of the righteous leads to life. The wages of the wicked to sin. And he's really contrasting here, not just the whole lifestyle of a person, but particularly a person in the workplace. Does their work lead to life? Does it lead to productivity? Does it lead to success or does it lead to sin? Second question about righteousness, speaking of doing the right thing, it has to do with doing the right thing with your lips. Do you filter what comes out of your mouth? The Lord does not want any unwholesome words coming from our lips. So think about this, telling crude jokes, taking the name of the Lord in vain, swearing, cursing, lying. Those are things that should be forever banned from our lips. I think it was David who said, Lord, put a guard over my lips. And the idea was that that he wanted to put a sentry. You know, in the old days, how they'd post a guard outside of a door to protect things people from coming in or people from going out and and david was saying the same thing look lord i want you to put a a guard a a sentry at the the doors of my lip the doors of my lips so that nothing comes out that is um inappropriate proverbs 10 20 and 21 the tongue of the righteous is choice silver the heart of the wicked is worth little the lips of the righteous feed many Proverbs 10, 31 and 32 says, The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut out. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. Okay, doing what is right. Doing what is right. Third question in this category, how do you treat your animals? I treat my animals perfectly because I don't have any. In the context, he's probably talking about farm animals and beasts of burdens, donkeys, and so on. But for us in America, we have pets, animals that are pets. How do you treat them? How do you treat them? You say, well, what on earth does this have to do with being a Christian? What, it's, it's doing the right thing is what it is. Proverbs 12.10, a righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. And even though this probably has more to do with farm animals, as I mentioned, um, there are wicked people who have no regard for the life of their pets. I don't even know why they have them. They're cruel to them. If every person on the planet, or even just say in America, was kind and, and uh, tender towards their animals, there would be no need for that society. What's it called? The Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to animals, SPCA. That's what it means. Why do we have that if everybody treats their animals so well? A righteous friend will be tender even to his pets. I have a um, marriage, um, pre-marriage questionnaire that I hand out uh, and I've handed out to people to fill in before they, as they're thinking about marriage. One of the questions that I asked there, which seems really bizarre to people is, do you have any pets? Yes. How do you treat them? You say, why would you ask that? Because of this. The tenderness that we show even to dumb animals uh, tells us a lot about our character, really, is what it does. Okay, number four in this category. Are you studying the Scriptures? A righteous man studies to find the answers to life's questions. He's not satisfied with superficial conversations. Proverbs 15:28 says, "The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil." Okay? As a believer, we are called by the Lord to defend the faith, to contend for the faith. And you cannot do that if you don't understand the questions, if you don't understand if you have not studied to answer those questions. And so the the call for us as believers 
is to get into the word, know the questions, and be able to answer them so that you have an answer uh, for those who object to the Lord. In the New Testament, 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Don't wing it. Study to know their answer. In fact, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And finally, in this section of doing the right thing, um, do you demonstrate mercy? Do you demonstrate mercy? It says in uh, Proverbs 29.7, The righteous considers the cause of the poor, but the wicked does not understand such knowledge. Proverbs 14.31 says this, He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker. Do you know that? He who oppresses the poor reproaches God. That's what he's talking about. But he who honors God has mercy on the needy. It's an interesting uh, correlation there, isn't it? God is looking down on the face of the earth and he's looking at how we treat other people. Jesus said when he was on earth, the poor you have always with you. God purposely leaves poor people on earth to see how those who are not poor will respond to them, how they will treat them. Do you know that? And the way we treat them is the way we treat God. No different. Okay? And the way we treat God is demonstrated by how we treat other people. The bottom line is that a righteous friend does what is right. Surround yourself with righteous friends and be a righteous friend yourself. Robert Chapman was a friend like this. He was from a wealthy family. He um, had everything he could possibly need in life. He had, um, the family was so wealthy they had servants on the uh, cars, or I don't know if there were cars in those days or not, but on the vehicles they drove. They even had the family crest embedded or emblazed in the the side of the the carriage or the cart or the of the uh, car. He came to know the Lord. He had um, decided to to go into law, the study of law, and he he earned his law degree, and he joined a law practice where he was um, doing very well. But he, after he came to know the Lord he began to think in terms of what the Lord would have him to do with his life. And he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? How shall I live? And he really believed that the Lord wanted him to give up his law practice, to give up his riches, and to go and live among the poorest of the poor in, um, I think it was Barnstable um, in England. And he thought about it and he says, that's what I'll do. And so he gave up his law practice, he gave away his riches and he went to live among the poor and, fo- and followed the Lord's call to come follow me. He believed the Lord wanted him to forsake all and follow him. His response to people who questioned him uh, was this. There are many who preach Christ, but not so many who live Christ. I make it my aim to live Christ. His righteous behavior caused him to give what he had to those who were poor and in need. And as people witnessed him pouring himself out for the lives of people who nobody cared for, they said, you know, here is a man who not only is righteous, he does the right thing, but he is, they called him the apostle of love. There's a story that is told um, of a time when a letter was sent to him from a foreign country. And it was, they didn't know his address in England. And so all they did was they wrote, R.C. Chapman, University of Love, England. And the letter was delivered to him. His biographer wrote that as far as his character was concerned, there were few people that he knew 
uh, who were his equal as far as his demonstration of righteousness and love. He was a friend who loved the unlovely. All right, well, let's get on to <clears throat> more interesting subjects. Marriage. An excellent wife. The Bible talks about this in Proverbs. Proverbs 12.4 says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness to his bones. I'll tell you one thing about the Proverbs. They really shoot straight, don't they? <laughs> rottenness to his bones. It is important that we choose friends carefully. And this is especially true of the one we choose to be our spouse. The right one is hard to find. In fact, Proverbs uh, says that. It says that she's like a rare jewel, a rare jewel. What character traits should a man look for in a woman that um, potentially could be his future wife? Or another way to look at it, if you're not a guy looking for a, a wife, what character traits should you have if you are an excellent woman? Well, first of all, she should be a woman you can respect. In Proverbs 11:16, it says, A gracious woman retains honor. What this means is that she's kind-hearted, she's courteous, she's pleasing and favored. And as a result, everyone who knows her respects her. She's a woman of sterling character. And she maintains that character her whole life long. It will be said of her, as it was said in Proverbs 31, 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. And Proverbs 31, 31 28 says, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. She's a woman you can respect. Second, she's a woman uh, who is good. In Proverbs 18, 22, it says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I'm not sure why. If you notice in that verse, the word thing is actually in italics. It's not part of the original. So really what he's saying is, He who finds a wife finds one who is good. And that's the idea. You're looking for a good wife, obtains favor from the Lord. Her goodness is based on her relationship with God, as we read in Proverbs 31.30. A woman who fears the Lord, that's the kind of woman who is good. She shall be praised. So we see her goodness. If you take a look at Proverbs 31 with me for just a minute, we're going to just blaze through this very quickly. Proverbs 31, verse 11. are some of the character qualities that you would want to look for in a wife or want to be as a wife verse 11 she's trustworthy the heart of her husband safely trusts her verse 12 she looks out for his good it says she does him good and not evil all the days of her life verse 13 she is an enthusiastic worker it says she willingly works with her hands and then verse 27 talks about the fact she is not idle she is resourceful verse 14 she is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. Verse 15, she is disciplined. She rises while it is yet night to provide for her family and those who are others in her household. Verses 16, 18, 19, and 24, we learn about the fact that she is astute in financial decisions. She considers a field. She buys it. She profits from it. She succeeds further from... Uh, from further sound choices and she is diligent in making quality products for sale so she's she's um uh disciplined in all she's doing but she's she's a student financial matters she knows how to handle money she knows how to handle uh uh finances and, and able to use them properly verses 17 and 25 she maintains a healthy lifestyle it says that she girds herself with strength verse 20 she is compassionate she extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hand to the needy. Verse 21, she has foresight. 
She thinks of the future and prepares for her, for her family for the upcoming winter season. Verse 22. She appreciates quality and is not slovenly. It says she makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Verse 23. She is wise. No doubt she is wise because she seeks the Lord and she seeks to surround herself with wise friends. And then verse 23, again, she is kind. She has one rule in her vocabulary, and that is this, or in her, uh, her, her, with her mouth, and that is, if you can't say something kind, don't say it at all, okay? Verse 30, she's not impressed with the Hollywood hype. Charm is deceitful, she knows, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Her family blesses her with praise, as does her husband. And then her works are a testimony of her goodness to all her knower. Man, I'd like to marry a woman like that. Oh, yeah, I did. This Wednesday will mark the 26th year, our 26th anniversary. And... uh, there, there has been, um, I, I appreciate Krista more and more each day. And I thank the Lord for giving you to me as my friend, my true friend. You are a rare find, that precious jewel. You're a keeper. But you're a helper to me, the very kind of helper that God knew that I needed specifically match for me you are an excellent wife and i thank god for you every day god um wants us to be very careful in the in the friends that we choose i am grateful for giving her to me as my friend but i think guys as you think in terms of marriage choose the kind of woman who puts God first above all other things, above all others. And uh, she's the right kind of wife to have. All right, number f- the fifth friend would be more to do with men now, a faithful man, a faithful man. So ladies, as you think about potential marriage, the guy that you might want to, to have as your husband, think in terms of a faithful man. Um, and guys be this kind of a man it's interesting that it says of the of of a woman an excellent wife that she is rare um her 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 value is more than rubies meaning that she's a rare find you're not going to find this type of a person just anywhere you've got to look you've got to search same thing is said of um a faithful man he may be as rare a find as an excellent wife it says of of uh, this kind of man in proverbs 26 most men will proclaim each his own goodness or his own loving kindness i'm a great guy i mean i just i just am a great guy most guys will say that okay that's not what i was saying okay but that's what proverbs here says most men will proclaim his own goodness but who can find a faithful man not someone who just says the words but a man who is truly faithful. If you're looking for a faithful husband, or men, if you will be a faithful husband, here are some of the things to look for. Proverbs 20, verse 7. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of integrity. Um, you know what? We've got a couple of minutes, so if you get the verse, just read it for me. Proverbs 20, verse 7. Okay. So it's an interesting um, comment in this verse. It says that the man is a man of integrity. He walks in his integrity. As a result, his children um, walk after him. In Proverbs 5, 15 through 19, there's a whole section here. In fact, we looked at this woman last week, the immoral woman, and we noted that there were multiple chapters devoted to this woman. I think 60-some-odd verses that were devoted to this immoral woman. In in one section of it, though, it says in Proverbs 5, 15 through 19, that he avoids 
the immoral woman and rejoices with the wife of his youth. He is completely smitten with her. I like that, that phrase. There was an elder in, a, in my home assembly uh, growing up in Vancouver, and he had a, a wife. He was an old man when I uh, knew him, and she was an old lady. Um, she was probably in her 50s. <laughs> probably my age. But I remember we would go out as a family, we'd go out for lunch with them uh, maybe once a month or once every other month, something like that. And I asked him one day about his wife. And his eyes sparkled and um, he just was reliving his courtship with her all over again. He was probably actually, uh, she's I think 90 now, so it's probably when, when he was about 60. She's still living. And he says, ah, let me tell you about my wife. And so he'd go on and on telling about his wife. And he he talked, and this is the phrase that I just used a minute ago. He says, I finally had the courage to tell her that I loved her. And he says, "Um, um, I can't remember her first name because I always call them Mr. and Mrs., you know. So Mrs. Hargraves, but he didn't say Mrs. Hargraves to her. Uh, He said, uh, whatever her name was, (laughs) you have smitten me. And I thought, boy, that's really uh, noble, you know. But but it really was true. And even so late in their marriage, they have been married for probably 30 some odd years at that time or even longer. You've smitten me. So what did I have to do that for? Um, But that's the point. Of the, of the man who has integrity with regard to his own wife. He is so smitten in his love for her that no one else holds a candle to her. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter anything about them. He is fully devoted to her. He's in love with her. That's the kind of man that we're talking about, a faithful man. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 1, he is temperate. He realizes, so who has uh, verse uh, 20, verse 1? Just read it out. Okay. The verse is talking about someone who recognizes the deception of drinking, of uh, alcoholic uh, um, substances. Really what we talk about today is we call it substance abuse, whether it's alcohol or it's drugs he steers clear of them. He just realizes that it's just full of deception. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by them is not wise. In verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 29, it says, uh, He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. The idea here is this, that, that the faithful man is able to uh, rule over his own temper. Chapter 13, verse 4, he's diligent. There's not a lazy bone in his body. He's not the sluggard that Proverbs talks about. He's gone to the ant, and he has learned the lessons from the ant that uh, they work hard uh, and provide for their future. In uh, verse, chapter 13, verse 24, he loves children, and he loves his own children enough that if he is married that, uh, and has children, he will discipline them uh, promptly. Chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. A faithful man is also faithful with his finances. We saw this with the woman, that she was diligent with her finances. The faithful man is also diligent in his finances. He honors the Lord with his substance. And with the first fruits of all of his increase, he gives to the Lord. He says, look, everything I have belongs to the Lord. Everything I have. And so if I'm earning a wage, it's only because the Lord has made, has given me the job. How many in this day and age, at this time in our history, uh, is that true of? All of us. And it's true at any time, whether things are good or they're not good. Anything we get, anything we have is from the Lord. And we honor the Lord by giving back to Him uh, from that which He gives to us. Um, he is wise in financial matters in another area too. He doesn't guarantee someone else's debt. Okay, we, what do we call that? 
cosigning, okay? He doesn't cosign for someone else's debt. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll put my name on it. Okay, he sees that that's, that's uh, going to uh, set up some real trouble for him and for his, fi- for his finances and for his home. And so the proverb says, you know, if you've done that, do whatever it takes, obviously legally, to get out of that and to, uh, to be free from that kind of thing. So he's learning that area. He's wise. He's prudent in wisdom and understanding. Well, we're really out of time. There are many other friends that we should embrace. And again, go back to the book of Proverbs. Take a look at those to avoid and look at those to embrace or to cling to. There are others such as those who honor their parents, those who care about the lost and the perishing, those who win souls who are wise, and even those who show kindness to their enemies. The greatest challenge came from the Lord Jesus Christ who said this in John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends, he said. May God help us to have that same view of each other, that you are my friends, and I would be willing to lay down my life for you. May God give us the help to be that kind of friend. Let's just close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word and how precious it is. We thank you how practical the instruction is in it as well. And Lord, as we think in terms of making friends in life, Lord, we realize that life is so short and we pray that um, as we make decisions with regard to friends that we might choose the ones that are wise, that will make us wise, that are righteous, that do the right thing, that we might also do the right thing. Those who are uh, true friends, those who are excellent women and faithful men, we just pray, Lord, that you might help us to be that kind of friend and to make those kinds of friends ourselves. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us to um, love one another in such a way that we are willing to live for one another, and even lay down our lives for one another. As an expression of our love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.